Welcome to this episode of Solo Wake Up Live. I am Jan Brandt, the host of the Solo Wake Up podcast, as well as the writer of the daily Solo Wake Up newsletter. On today's podcast, we have the director of electricity policy for energy innovation, Mike O'Boyle, who recently wrote uh, a great report on what it would look like if the southeastern United States had power markets similar to PJM and other, other RTOs in working for the state consumers as opposed to just the monopoly utilities. Uh, welcome to this the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. I want to, I want to kick off with, with, with kind of the obvious question, the, the power markets you're, you, you wrote about that you gave, you're giving some voice to the, the possibility of having a competitive energy market uh, spanning the Southeastern United States, create jobs, provide for cleaner air, cleaner electricity, and save hundreds of millions of dollars. Great idea. What's standing in the way? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a good idea, you know, in theory. And what we really did was we modeled. We we used uh, a modeler with a very sophisticated and cutting edge um, analytical tool that can do capacity expansion and uh, dispatch at the same time, uh, and has very sophisticated proprietary um, weather data. So it does a really good job of uh, of of representing renewable production uh, at a much more granular level than than other similar models. And so we allowed it to just combine all the utilities in the region into one uh, what's called balancing area authority. So supply and demand get balanced over that large area and optimize for cost. That's what we did. And that's, that's kind of what markets uh, are meant to do. Um, and so in that way, it's kind of a, it's a technical potential study of like, what's the economic optimum that's possible if you, if you take a regional approach uh, and, and just look at economics. Um, and yeah, I, the, the benefits were enormous, um, both for clean energy and especially for consumers and employment. Um, I mean, your question, what's standing in the way? Um, you know, forming RTOs is never easy. You see this in the West where they're trying to take an incremental approach by looking at an energy imbalance market. They're now expanding that to um, some, a, a real-time day-ahead market that's voluntary. Um, so kind of making incremental progress. Um, but, but what you need is the ascent of utilities, um, which have uh, monopoly market power and are not likely to want to give that up without you know, significant benefits on the other end of that, or you need um, utility regulators or, or legislators that um, feel like this is a good enough idea that they're willing to go against what the utilities want. Um, so the political economy questions uh, are, are quite complex and, and difficult. Um, and, uh, and then of course you need to figure out governance, right? There has to be an independent uh, market operator and monitor and, and that involves ceding state authority to a new entity. So that's, that's also a tricky, tricky bit. So definitely a lot of complexity uh, to move from the balkanized system in the Southeast today and towards a regional market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, obviously a, a very nuanced uh, process to go through. And I, I want to dig into the politics a, a little bit later on. But, uh, you know, one of the... Uh, really taking the, the approach of solving for cost, right? And, uh, you know, walk us through the analysis, because I'm assuming as 
you were writing this report, you had some indication of where you think it, you, you thought it might end up, but you really let the model do the work. Yeah. Um, what is it, you know, I, obviously you didn't do this report 10 years ago, but there, this would have, uh, if it was implemented in 2025, um, you know, over $300 million of, of, of savings to the consumers. How much, what does it say about the current state of the renewable energy market and really like all the generation in the market yeah. uh, to where we are here now in 2020 and, and forecasting yep. that out to 2025? Right. Uh, well, the reason we picked the, the region uh, is that a year ago or so, we, we teamed up with the same modeling firm, Vibrant Clean Energy, to do a study called the Coal Cost Crossover. So that was comparing the cost of the going forward cost of operating every coal plant in the United States to um, the levelized cost of new wind or solar within 35 miles of that coal plant. Um, and we found that about two thirds of the coal plants in the US um, are actually more expensive to run on a per unit of energy basis, which is not the whole picture, but it's kind of gives you like a, a sort of directional indication of coal economics uh, relative to clean. Um, about 60 or, or yeah, two thirds of the plants were uneconomic, but in the Southeast, it was, it was even more pronounced. It was like 92%. And so, um, you know, and some of those plants were were quite uneconomic compared to to local renewables. You know, coal uh, coal is basically you know in a in its decline, and um, and renewables, uh, particularly wind and solar, are the cheapest resources now to add to the system. And um, you know, another component here is is battery storage costs falling so quickly. Um, so all of that combining, you know, we kind of knew. Uh, that just a cost optimal run in the region, given that there's so little renewable penetration, there's so much uneconomic coal, we were likely to see kind of a coal to clean swap um, be the cost optimal path. Uh, and, and that's definitely what we saw. So, you know, one of the, the big quite topics of the day right now, especially in the political arena is natural gas is the bridge fuel. We've now seen Dominion and Con Ed uh, make statements, you know, in their public filings, basically getting out of gas, gas pipelines, yeah. uh, still talking about gas as a generation fuel, but clearly sending a signal that they're not willing to own the infrastructure that gets the gas to the plants. Um, where, wh what does the report say about gas in terms of, you know, the bridge, right? This report yeah. is, uh, I believe, through 2040. Um, is natural gas still the bridge fuel or, or, well, or are we past that? It depends on where you think the bridge is going. Like th this, this report did not put carbon limits on the system. So it does build a, a little bit of new natural gas, um, uh, but a lot less than in the integrated resource planning um, business as usual scenario. So, um, you know, it, it, if you take into account the voluntary utility commitments to reach net zero by 2050 of Southern Company and, and Duke, uh, I think one of them, I think maybe Duke was 2045, um, and, and you match that up with how costs would have to be recovered for the new natural gas generation built in say 2035 or 2040, you know, 
what normally would take be amortized over 30 years would then be have to be amortized over 15 or 10 years. Um, and that's a huge cost increase on an annual basis. That's we didn't analyze that, um, but you know I, I think it's uh, it's pretty clear that the longer you the more gas you build now, the more you're going to have to pay later, especially if you really intend to decarbonize. Um, so I mean, it, then then you get into you know the 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 pipelines to right. um, to to supply that gas and and that those are supposed to be depreciated over 60 to 70 years. So you get an even worse stranded asset problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, we wrote a report called Natural Gas, a Bridge to Climate Breakdown um, with, a, with an investor advocate uh, and kind of did some of that analysis uh, that showed new natural gas is really a bad investment. Well, I guess that's why monopolies leave it to the the, the, the ratepayers to to take that burden. Um, I see. I see the next report: uh, natural gas, the bridge, the, the new bridge to nowhere. Yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe, uh, maybe something maybe something to be had there. I mean, I've I've long been convinced that the utilities uh, natural gas was their bridge to increase rate base. Uh, <laughs> it it was it was a phenomenal idea to. Uh, get rid of coal and replace it with gas and, and, you know, drive up the investment dollars, knowing that within 40 years of whatever they're, they're presenting to, to regulators, um, they solar and storage would be, you know, and wind would be a far better option. Uh, but why miss out the opportunity to replace a whole generation uh, portfolio with gas and then be able to do it again? Uh, there, there's actually yeah. some pretty, pretty funny, uh, in Florida, solar uh, rate-based requests where they actually say solar has no capacity value. Yeah. Therefore, we we also still must build the gas plant. Yeah. Um, which really goes back to probably you know what I just described is kind of central to the problem that the RTO fixes. Right. This this competitive market doesn't let you get away with uh, the shell game that that some of the utilities run because you have to be competitive in the marketplace in order yeah. to get the energy out. What would this do to reliability, right? We're seeing, you know, obviously the Southeast hurricanes, uh, you just have had one hit in Louisiana, um, but Florida is obviously always central to it. Um, what analysis for reliability uh, does the report take on? And, yeah. and, and, you know, maybe that will we'll follow up with a question on wires. Yeah, and if we have time to get back to sort of the the monopoly incentives that you talked through, I, I'd be glad to land there for a bit too. Um, the the so the model has uh, reliability constraints that it has to meet. Um, you know, the the reserve margin um, is calculated in a fairly conventional way. It has to exceed the NERC. Um, reserve margin target of 15% for the region. Um, and, you know, in the competitive market, uh, that's, or the, I should say the cost optimized, you know, scenario, that uh, reserve margin gets down to about 16%, just above the 15% target. Whereas if you look at the integrated resource plans in aggregate, it rises um, to about 48%. That's actually where most of the savings come from is avoiding the need for like new natural gas uh, investment and continued investment in, in coal plants that then retire. And, you know, the, the model, you know, has a way of like paying for those 
in a way that minimizes cost. And so you don't have to like keep paying the rate of return for such a long time. Um, uh, so, you know, that removing the slack uh, capacity uh, and excess actually is, is one of the main drivers of, of cost reduction. Um, but, you know, it matches supply and demand in every hour. Um, it has, uh, you know, there are um, operating reserves. There, there's a, a level that it can't go below in any hour. So, you know, it does a pretty robust job of, of maintaining system reliability. Of course, you know, <clears throat> any utility will find uh, that, that looks deeply and closely enough at their own system compared to how it's modeled is gonna find discrepancies. You know, they have much more granular knowledge. They do power flow analysis on their, on their um, system that the model, you know, just doesn't do at that, at that level. But, you know, the basic balance of supply and demand is happening. Yeah. The, uh, you, you kind of touched on, on something that, that, that is interesting is the regional aspect of this, right? Because the, when, when we talk about reliability and, and you're saying that existing utilities are creating more reliability than necessary and or required, uh, how, th this obviously assumes, so th the states in this report are Florida, Georgia, parts of Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, um, I'm missing a few here. Uh, Alabama, Alabama, Carolinas, and the yeah. Carolinas. So uh, you've got you've got a nice nice territory there. Not that they've uh, they they can't get along on water, so that 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 would be one one hurdle to overcome. But now this becomes a, a single network, and the re you increase the re reliability potentially because you're now able to pull from from other sources is yeah is that a correct understanding um so, yeah yeah i mean um you know reserve margin is only one measure of reliability but but it it's a meaningful one uh in terms of the ability you know to meet peak yeah. um and uh i think that the regional system increases the diversity of load it increases the diversity of generation resources um, and you know it also improves the sort of aggregate um, you know the term load carrying capacity the the sort of reliability contribution of wind and solar and storage because um, you have these resources that are either anti-correlated or you know the sun sets at different times in different parts of the service territory but more particularly you have different wind generation profiles in different states and the wind that gets built, you know, is is different, um, and maybe blowing in one place but not another. The larger the area that you build wind over, the more consistent the the, the output. So, yeah. um, you know, you 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 definitely have more renewable integration tools that are lower cost than doing it all within a small service territory, where you know maybe natural gas looks like one of the best options. Although. Um, one of the other huge findings of this uh, is if you look at storage economics, like battery storage economics today, um, they look much better and really replace the need for a lot of the peak, like the the peaker, gas peaker generation um, that, that's built into the integrated resource plans. So, you know, battery storage is kind of nowhere in any of the resource planning processes in the Southeast that we aggregated into the business as usual case. 
and like 42 gigawatts of new battery storage gets built in the in the cost optimal case. So there's a definite mismatch where utilities are discounting the value that storage can provide and probably inflating the cost because they have no experience with the resource. And that's another issue with monopoly regulation, right? Is that there's no incentive to innovate. There's no incentive to adopt new, new ways of doing things um, because it's all downside risk from the utilities perspective. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, really need to figure out how to get more battery storage in the market. Uh, follow up on you. There, there's a term I, I recently learned this uh, term, the load carrying capacity, the effective load carrying capacity. Mm -hmm. There was a report out of California, the CPUC, that yep. said uh, solar plus four hours of storage, effective load carrying capacity in the short term was high 90s and I think maybe dropped to like high 80s uh, at, at higher, at, at higher uh, penetration into the market. That, that, I mean, that's, that's a, a really uh, you know, stunning number, right? And, and, it, and it, but it makes sense when you talk about it in a scale of 42 gigawatts of batteries, you don't yeah. need all 42 gigawatts to be, they, they can all be four hours operating at different uh, yeah. times and, and focusing on different parts of a competitive market, right? One might do frequency, you might do one that's might right. do energy. Um, it, I mean, is that kind of core to something that monopolies aren't going to be incentivized to, to, to return value to the uh, consumers mm -hmm. on? Because there's, because the market doesn't give, there's no market price signal driving to the battery. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's kind of this, this conversation around price signal versus utility monopoly. And in a yeah. market that lacks price signals, the monopoly will just kind of do what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. So what, I mean, what you're really talking about is something called, you know, self-commitment or self-dispatch of power plants where utilities, um, you know, I, I don't think they are playing, well, it, it probably varies by utility, but, you know, they, they have a, a sort of a way to make all the pieces fit together and maintain reliability. And they try to keep costs low to, you know, reduce upward rate pressure because upward rate pressure induces scrutiny. It, it's, it's not good for business to increase rates in general. Um, but the, uh, there's really no ability to look in to the utilities operations and say, you should really turn that, you should operate that plant differently. You should, you know, it, it, there, there's not a marginal cost approach to how the plants get dispatched. Um, and that's something that a market ruthlessly brings. Um, uh, now, that being said, some markets allow for self-dispatch um, and where there are vertically integrated utilities embedded in competitive markets, you see a lot more self-dispatch of those plants. Um, and there's a great report by Sierra Club and another by a Union of Concerned Scientists looking at the inefficiency of that. And we can talk about that. But, but basically, you know, th there's no transparency, right, in the vertically integrated utility about how they make decisions about what, what, should, what should dispatch um, on the margin. And then, like, you get these IRPs that kind of put all those pieces together behind the scenes and give you, like, an output. This is the cost. And, you know, that's not really satisfactory. Um, 
to someone who's who's trying to look at like you know how can we reduce costs because um, you you don't and they'll redact all the information. Um, there's a, there's a great IP. redaction in, in Duke's IRP uh, that they just filed two days ago. Yeah. Um, about how how often their power plants are are running. Yeah. Um, and it literally the the percentages are blacked out. There you go. Uh, well, that's, wouldn't that be nice to know? Um, I mean, the commission can view it, right? Uh, so the regulators can see that information. Um, so there's somebody looking, peering behind the, behind the curtain. But um, so for storage, I think you have a similar problem where actually these resources can do so many different things. Um, and uh, a lot of the storage in the model is actually built behind the substation. So it's, it's reducing it's providing those same services to the wholesale market, but also reducing peak below the substation. So actually also avoiding substation upgrades and saving even more money. Um, that's another thing that, that the yeah. vibrant clean energy model can do. And like stacking all those values, that's not something the utility is going to want to do. I mean, that's yeah. avoiding uh, millions or billions in investments that, that end up giving returns to shareholders. So, you know, Good luck getting the the highest value out of storage when you don't have a market. I think you're right about that. Um, so uh, interesting numbers, uh, and you know, without I, I, without going into the Duke RP in, in any great detail, uh, let's just say you know their analysis, their menu of options, the one that most resembles the outcome of of your report, which is uh, more renewables, less. Uh, you know, less growth of gas, no coal, um, yeah. you know, kind of that is the most expensive option on the menu for uh, yeah. Duke and uh, something like 58% higher than the base case. Whereas in your analysis, the North Carolina uh, costs to the retail energy costs would go down 25%. Yeah. Make their argument, right? Like, you know, I think most people, most people that are listening to this and, and myself included would tend to agree with you that we can run a, a competitive market more effectively and therefore lower the price. But make, what's their argument in this case? Oh, man. Uh, what's their argument? I mean, I think I can more money for our, our, our shareholders. No, no, that may be their argument on the earnings calls. But um, no, I think the the argument is um, that they that well it's not just duke it, it's it's all the vertically integrated utilities are making the same arguments i don't want to pick on them um, it, it, it's that these variable renewable resources that you guys want us to build um, require all kinds of additional changes to the system that are expensive uh, if you want us to maintain reliability um, and so we'll analyze it for you, but you know all these all the additional transmission costs and you know the cost of maintaining and increasing in some cases the gas fleet to balance that variability, um, you know those are going to raise overall consumer costs. And look how much money we can save you by just you know using natural gas. Um, so so I think that's it. The the other thing that but, you know, there are, <laughs> to explain the discrepancies, um, you know, I, I would have to really understand, like, what are the cost inputs? Um, 
we so all I know is sort of what we did and we put in the NREL, the National Renewable Energy Labs, uh, annual technology baseline, uh, their latest one um, or 2019 version for the cost of wind and solar. Um, I would be shocked to find that a vertically integrated utility would use the same numbers. Um, they may think that they have their own understanding of what it costs based on how much they've paid in the past. Um, but, you know, the other question is, can, have you tested the market to see what the lowest cost could be? Or are you trying to build it all yourself? Um, because, you know, we've seen that even vertically integrated utilities like Excel Energy can get really low wind and solar prices if they, if they test the market with an open all source uh, procurement uh, RFP. Um, I don't see anything indicating like these, this is what the market shows us the price is. It's just sort of like, these are our modeling inputs and I'm sure the advocates are gonna, that get to peek behind the curtain are gonna criticize those. And then finally, like the storage costs, uh, they're, they're always, they always seem to be way behind. Um, they've come down so far and will continue yeah. to do so. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, you know, next, next era, we'll pick on a different uh, behemoth, is, is an interesting case because they actually love this idea anywhere but they, they they used to joke that we love competitive markets in 49 and a half states right and now that they their 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 footprint in florida is a yeah. little greater it's probably 49 and a quarter states yeah they, you know they're, they're building large solar at sub 80 cents a watt they, it, you know because they're yeah. one of the biggest if not the biggest yeah. uh, owner of, of solar and wind um in, in the country but yeah, the battery, the battery aspect. I think I tweeted yesterday that fifty dollar kilowatt, fifty dollars a kilowatt hour is a is a guarantee in the next ten years. Yep. Um, grew some, grew some higher. But you know, let's let's talk about the politics because this is where it gets really interesting, right? Monopolies, hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap. Uh, I'm assuming you still envision them playing a role as as wires companies, similar to the Northeast. Uh, to a certain, um, to a mm -hmm. certain effect, uh, what, what, what would, what would the market look like if an RTO is implemented and maybe kind of like the, the, the first three things that have to happen in order to get this off the ground? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I would point your listeners to a great report if they're interested in diving deeply on this from the Nicholas Institute at Duke University, um, that lay out some of the, options for regional competition uh, in the Southeast. So if for any of the energy nerds that are like, how do we do this and what are the intermediate steps? Um, that's a great resource uh, from a, a clean energy lawyer and fellow there named Jenny Chen. So anyway, um, what would it look like? I mean, no RTO is, uh, is the same. They're all, they're all different. So they all have the sort of similar essential elements, but I mean, just take one of the key questions is, should the, should the vertically integrated utilities have to divest from generation, which becomes competitive? Um, MISO and Southwest Power Pool, um, the answer is no. In California, the answer is sometimes. And in PJM in the Northeast and ERCOT, the answer is yes, except for like one or two. <laughs> exceptions. So um, like Dominion, Virginia is still vertically integrated, but it participates in PJM. So, um, so that is a first order question. 
uh, and it's, I think it's political. Um, and, and it also has to do with this other question, which is who handles resource adequacy? Um, in PJM, ISO New England and ERCOT, the wholesale market operator handles uh, resource adequacy. So like ensuring that that reserve margin and operational reserves, et cetera, that those meet NERC standards and that, that there's enough capacity to, to maintain reliability. That's, that's um, put on the states in these other markets. So in California, the vertically, the regulator uh, does this in, in MISO, individual utilities do this, but then there's this voluntary capacity market if you wanna buy from there. So you can, they have like a little bit of a hybrid approach um, and SBP is, is pretty much each state does their own thing. Um, and the, the ISO just kind of make sure it happens. So um, I just want to say, you know, that RTOs in practice can, can be quite diverse. Um, I don't know if there's anything in there you want to dig into, but you asked about the three next well, steps. I want to I dig into the politics, right? Because uh, I'll say something that has intellectual honesty wrapped in bullshit kind of put together, <laughs> right? It's... Uh, these states are largely, and and I'm this is to me this actually shouldn't be a, a partisan thing. This both sides should look at this and and you know find some things that are off in the model, and we want higher reliability or something else. Um, but the argument here is uh, more competition drives creates more jobs, cleaner air, 131 gigawatts of new solar, and drops the price by. 10 to 40% depending on the state, right? Yeah. All, everything that we hear every day, and I had the, the chair of the Florida Energy Committee tell me that in 2008, we can't do a 20% RPS um, because the market needs to decide what happens. And I said, great. Now solar is the most cost competitive aspect, you know, and, and this report kind of backs that up. But it seems to me that these seven states, uh, largely led by Republicans, who are always in favor of free markets would say, let the market decide, except in this, in the, in electricity where we want monopolies. Right. And yeah. so the intellectual honest argument would be, okay, let's create a, let's create a free market, a regulated free market um, with a set of rules around it and, and drive it. But what is this? There's gotta be something more than just, really large corporations standing in the way of it? Or is it just sim as simple as that? Well, uh, I think that the politics between states uh, becomes really complicated when you take a regional, regional approach. So I don't want to discount the complexity of like, you know, the seven state RTO. That's, that's hard. Um, and, and it takes trust building and institution building. Um, to get there. Like the, the SPP didn't just happen. They had an energy imbalance market that, that the states started to like, and, and then they expanded that. And now they're kind of a national leader in wind integration because they, they have such rich, rich wind resources. And, and you know, um, that's been really good for, for, for customers there. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm sorry to say that I do think that the biggest issue is large corporations <laughs> standing in the way. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that greater transparency um, and, and competition from independent power producers is good for the monopoly business model. It, it just, you know, it, it, being a monopoly utility is a, is a pretty good business. Um, 
if you can if you can keep it. And uh, I think they fight to keep it. Um, I'd probably do the same thing uh, if I were the CEO of one of those companies. Um, so you know, I don't want to don't want to yeah. fault them the individuals for that. But I think the onus is really on the policymakers, as you say, um, to push them in that direction because ultimately they they control the the utilities. Um, yeah. What's what's the most in, interesting call? Because this report has now been widely covered, right? Like you, yeah. this this got enormous traction in 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 really big publications and it, you know which is i mean it's the headlines are really good but the details have gotten coverage mm -hmm. because there's there's so many good kind of bullet points in it what have you has there been any like really interesting outreach you've gotten that said you know like even yeah. from politicians or regulators that, um, that are intrigued by this? You know, you'd be surprised how little interest I've seen from actual regulators and utilities so far. Um, but, you know, that I think that conversation, you know, may may proceed more slowly and cautiously. Um, but, you know, anyone listening to this that's interested in discussing the report and there's also a companion policy report um, that 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 we laid out. Um, and, you know, Energy Innovation's mission is so to you know opine on and provide guidance to, um, to policymakers, um, sort of unbiased guidance on like how to design policies well um, to 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 promote decarbonization while maintaining reliability and affordability. So, um, but no, I, I've I've gotten zero engagement, for example, from any of the large utilities in the region. Um, I think also there's just um, you know, with the seam happening and with so little details there, um, you know, they, they may sort of be waiting to produce a more polished or final proposal there that then this would more accurately sort of like impinge upon. Right now, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't even say like how this compares to the seam um, because there's so little detail. I mean, the thing that's missing from the seam is seam, seam is being sort of the the, the southeast market. energy yeah. energy market exchange. They, do you think that came out because the timing of it was strange, right? No, not a lot of people had talked about energy right. markets. Did they know that no. this was coming out? It's completely unrelated. So um, coincidence for it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for it to for that to happen a month before our report release was, you know, it it kind of gave us a. Uh, a hook because regionalization is already kind of a hot topic in the region. Um, you know, we were a little worried that it would fall on deaf ears. Like no one would, no one would care, but it, it's amazing the level of, of, um, of interest we've seen. And, and also just the, the findings and the, and the magnitude of savings. Um, I think that surprised me. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, we've seen like, do you, are you familiar with R street? Uh, the think tank? Yeah. Yeah. So like a, a group like that or, or large industrial consumers, they they, they like the, the report. Um, and those are not clean energy organizations. Um, and uh, so I, I think there's kind of a, there's something for everyone to like in this report. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hope that the, the findings, um, sort of put wind in the sails of, of folks that are 
looking at different ways to introduce competition in the region, not just an RTO, like is the conversation in the Carolinas, but, you know, competitive procurement, um, you know, just sort of exposing coal plants to greater scrutiny because those things are costing people money and they're just, they're polluting the crap out of the air and, and causing climate change. It's not something that we need anymore. And, and we need to, we need to hurry up and, and get, get rid of them. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, headline here for the solar industry is uh, Southeast RTO would create 282,000 solar jobs uh, by 2040, uh, 131 gigawatts uh, of new renewable capacity. That um, includes, that includes battery storage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so quite, quite some headline numbers. Uh, the politics of it uh, are intriguing. I did interview a, uh, a state rep in Florida a few years ago, and he, he, he said the line, if the University of Florida can buy solar energy at a price cheaper than the grid, then they should be allowed to do it. And yeah. that, that maybe summarizes what uh, an RTO uh, allows you to do as opposed to the, the yeah. lack of competition in the market. Um, but Mike, uh, Michael Boyle, Director of Electricity Policy and Energy Innovation, uh, appreciate you writing this report and coming on and, and telling us a little bit about it. We'll have to have you back to talk about uh, California, what happened, what's happening, <laughs> uh, all, all the fun stuff around uh, what a, uh, a market that has some monopoly, some, <laughs> some power market, uh, and then everything sprinkled in on top of that as well. Uh, yeah, what, what that looks like. It's it's quite a beast that we're wrangling over here. But Jan, it's been great talking with you. Thanks for having me.